and everybody got it back again. Don't take no mess out the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author and host of the Rose Garden Report newsletter and podcast, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.beehive.com for free or paid subscriptions. Uh, you can get the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, all the usual podcast platforms. The Portland Trailblazers are summer league champions for the second time in franchise history. They're the only the second franchise besides the Sacramento Kings that have won multiple summer league championships after winning it in 2018. And there's nobody that I wanted to have on the show to break down the summer league championship more so than somebody who's probably put in more hours and days at summer league than I would, I would say anybody like it's probably it's probably Ben Golliver one Warren Legary two. Would you say that's accurate? Well, first of all, there's no one else you'd rather have because there's no one else who was actually at this game. So let's get that up. <laughs> let's get that out of the way up. There's front. That, I mean, you you got the invite by default. Yes, that's true. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the real shout out needs to go to Joanna Shapiro with the NBA. Oh yeah, I think yeah, that Joe's she's great. like the most underrated MVP of the NBA's um, staff. She puts in more hours than literally everyone. I mean, just, you know, basically there 12 hours a day for 11 days straight. But the payoff for all of us was a pretty entertaining uh, championship game. It got off to a little bit of a slow start. But, boy, the Portland Trailblazers were excited after winning that thing, Sean. They were bouncing around. They were looking at their new championship rings with wide eyes. They were holding that, you know, clutching that trophy. I think Trendon Watford predicted the Blazers would win a real championship in Portland in the not-too-distant future. They were feeling themselves. They were feeling real good. And uh, I don't know, do we call this the spirit of 77 or what? Well, I'm just thinking back to uh, 2018 when they won the last uh, Summer League championship that, you know, our friends at Trailblaze and put out a T-shirt with victory in Vegas, which is that same slogan that the NBA uses on their actual Summer League championship T-shirts. It's a pretty big deal here. It's And... You know, there's a little bit of symmetry because uh, on that 2018 Summer League Championship team was Anthony Simons, who signed a $100 million contract about a week ago with the actual Blazers. And so this this is, I, I would say that it's a good omen for the vibes of this current era of the Trailblazers after... You know, some people who were with the organization for a long time are gone now. I think the vibes are a lot better. This is, I think, a big start. So, Ben, give me, you gave me a little bit of just the scene of it, but just like in person, how crazy are these rings? And you get to see one up close because this is a new wrinkle this year for Summer League is they actually have rings and they look just from the pictures that people have posted online, like Malika posted one when they first announced them. Uh, and then I've seen some of the stuff that some of the players have been posting on Instagram. But have you? did you get to actually see one of the rings up close? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they shine bright. And the coolest part about them is they come in individual boxes. 
and the boxes have like a motor. So the ring will actually spin in the box, you know, it kind of like rotates to kind of show you all the different angles. They're pretty cool. I I love Jabari Walker's quote about it. I mean, he's just sort of like his head is spinning, you know, rookie late second round pick. He played great throughout the entire summer league. I think one of the, um, the hidden gems of this year's second round. And so he's just, you know, on cloud nine, he actually shot the basketball really well in the championship game, hit a couple three pointers that were big. And he said the ring actually was too nice for him. Uh, it didn't even feel it didn't even feel right to wear it because it's like a trophy on your finger, right? So, I mean, that was sort of uh, his reaction. But yeah, the the rings are cool. The championship plaque that they gave to uh, Trenton Wadford as these uh, you know championship game MVP was pretty slick. I mean, these guys were all just sort of uh, you know stunned. I mean, they were joking. Where's our champagne? They wanted to really get the party on, and it was kind of funny because the game took place at noon local time, right? So, I mean, you've got everybody just kind of stumbling in after a Saturday night in Las Vegas, and uh, it was a really ugly first quarter for both sides. But by the end of it, you know, it felt uh, it felt like a real party, and uh, they looked like they had a good time. Why did they do the Summer League Championship game now? Because there are other games on tonight, like not like either the consolation games. Like this wasn't the last game of the entire tournament, right? I'm sure it was for television. I mean, television rules everything around me. I don't know what the sure. acronym is there, but um, TREAM maybe. But I, I think having the 3 p.m. Eastern uh, time slot on Sunday might be better depending on what you're trying to go against because it did go on ESPN, the main uh, the main channel. Personally, I love it because it lets me get out of Vegas just that much quicker. And sometimes when you're sitting around on the last day waiting for like a 7 p.m. tip or a 6 p.m. tip, it's just like, oh, my gosh. So, uh, you know, it worked out pretty well, but um, – you know, I think the Blazers had nine turnovers and three made baskets in the first quarter. So it did have kind of the feel of like a Sunday afternoon matinee in L.A. You know, sometimes the Clippers will host a team that like went out and partied all night and they just can't do anything right for the first quarter. That was kind of the vibe uh, today. But they worked into it. And, um, you know, it was really like a team effort. I thought Watford played great. I don't know how much you want to, you know, like X's and O's this game. But uh, Trendon Watford, he was the man of the moment. He won MVP. You know, they the Knicks cut the lead to seven points with seven minutes left. And then he just like completely took over both ends um, to kind of put the the game back into the comfortable position for the Blazers. Uh, Jabari Walker was great. Brandon Williams uh, was hot and he kind of, you know, hit some key free throws down the stretch to put the win away as well. So I think if you're Portland in, in terms of what does this mean to the franchise, it's been a really tough year. And I feel like this is a positive first step beyond all of that, tumultuous stuff from Jody Allen and are they going to sail to Neil O'Shea's investigation to Terry Stott's firing uh, to Chris McGowan's resignation to Damian Lillard's injury to all those trade deadline moves like this organization has gone through as much or more than any other franchise over the last 12 months. It's nice that they had a good day where it was just sort of about wide eyed joy and, and sparkly trophies and all that kind of stuff. And these young guys, like, you know, Jabari Walker, especially, you know, you were talking uh, about how he just kind of can't believe that he's here. They did a uh, interview on the ESPN telecast. George Sedano did a end of, I think it was the end of the first quarter interview with him, or or they, they had an interview with him on the thing where he was talking about how he, you know, he still feels like he shouldn't have gone 57th. And so he's kind of been one of the breakout stars of summer league and, uh, he, he also, uh, said, you know, he said at one point, uh, that, you know, they asked him, uh, how, you know, 
how he knew that the Blazers were. Or no, this wasn't here. This was I. I he, he was he was on Locked On Blazers with uh, our buddy Mike Richmond uh, that went out today, and he was asked, you know, how the Blazers kind of came, you know, he, he came onto their radar, and he said that he had a relationship with Mike Schmitz, who was the Draft Express guy at ESPN, and now is in the Blazers front office, and that's who he thinks put him on. That's that's this is already you know this summer league is kind of a win for this new front office, because even though they didn't have their, you know, their lottery pick, Shaden Sharp, who injured his shoulder five minutes into the first summer league game, you're kind of seeing, okay, they had, they made this discovery of, uh, of Jabari Walker, who looks like he can actually be an NBA rotation player. I don't know how much that's going to happen his rookie season because most rookies don't get real minutes, but it looks like down the line, he has the kind of skill set and the kind of mentality where he can probably actually get real minutes and have a good, decently long NBA career. Well, Mike Schmitz was like the Blazers front office representative at the game tonight. Um, he had a big smile. He was super excited for all the guys. You know, it's nice to start your tenure on a winning note, I'm sure for him. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, there, there's no question. I mean, Jabari Walker, he was getting a lot of people, uh, whether it's scouts, rival coaches, you know, kind of anybody who was talking about the Blazers this week, they were all saying, wait a minute, how'd this guy fall to 57? That was kind of like the common uh, trope. Because he almost feels like a Toronto Raptors player, doesn't he? Like big, physical, pretty long, um, versatile, can play multiple positions, and just had a great, great motor. I mean, double-double in the championship game. And he was doing it all, by the way, off the bench. And so I thought that was – there was two kind of uh, concurrent stories, right? There was one, Walker stepping up and filling the void, you know, for Shaden Sharp because he didn't play. And then the other one was, you know, all these kind of cast-off, undrafted guys – or people who were involved in trades and just kind of landed in Portland down the stretch who had played an awful lot of tanktastic minutes in March and April when the wins and losses really didn't matter. All those guys kind of banded together and said, why don't we go to Vegas, try hard, play unselfishly, and try to win this thing? And not every team has that. I mean, you do look at the Knicks who they played in the championship game. I mean, that's a, a second-year dominated team as well. Guys like Grimes and McBride, they're coming back with experience. But – you know, for Portland, I mean, by Vegas standards, their roster was kind of stacked. I mean, it had all these guys who have played real NBA minutes, hundreds of them, and, and they played them together. And I thought that chemistry is sort of what drove, um, you know, this title run. And then you put, you know, Walker coming off the bench and just playing well above all reasonable expectations. It, it wound up, you know, leaving the front office, like you said, looking in a pretty good spot. I mean, I kind of wonder, though. Would you trade all that to have watched uh, Shaden Sharp for five games? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, you know, it's a, a dark and kind of twisted question. But, you know, as a neutral observer, I would have. You know, I just want to see what this guy's about. We haven't seen him in a year. And it was a pretty disappointing start uh, to their summer league. And credit to their coaching staff, by the way, for just, you know, riding that roller coaster and not letting that, you know, major injury you know, tank their entire summer league run. I mean, I, I actually kind of tuned out on the Blazers after the the second game because I was like, well, what's the point? Sharp's not out there. And then sure enough, by the time it, it came time for the, the tournament aspect and, and the playoffs part, you know, Portland was right there ready to go, locked in, thanks to all those second-year guys that I mentioned. Yeah, you don't usually see teams that are actively going to be trying to make the playoffs in once the next actual NBA season gets started, having about half of their real NBA team. You'll see like Houston or Oklahoma City or Orlando or some of these teams that are kind of near the bottom of the standings having that many guys from their actual team on the Summer League team. And it was a lot of guys, like you said, 
who just like Keon Johnson, who came over in the Clippers trade, or like Didi Luzada, who was a throw-in in the CJ trade, or Brandon Williams, who's still on a two-way and was on the team after, basically as a COVID hardship guy, they, you know, kept around. Did you get a chance to talk to a lot, any scouts or front office people from other teams while you were down there? Because I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of curious, because like you said, we did not get to see him actually play outside of the five minutes. What has your vibe been about what people around the league that you've talked to think about a the Blazers taking shade and sharp and B you know what they what they think of him as a prospect? Well, I think people really understood the upside swing um, from that spot. I mean, you're looking at the other options who were available. He was clearly the guy who had the best high school pedigree and the guy with the most um, you know long term potential to kind of be a star. And when Joe Cronin's saying for months and months, I want to be a guy who take risks. I want to be a guy who, uh, you know, is, is willing to, uh, you know, absorb maybe some of the, you know, backfire potential that the previous GM was just not willing to do whatsoever. Uh, it wasn't surprising to me at all. I mean, I had I had them taking Shaden Sharp in my mock draft and like, I don't really follow this stuff that closely. So it just seemed kind of like a natural fit. In terms of what people think about Sharp, I mean, the mystery man stuff is definitely true. A lot of people didn't get the chance to evaluate him in person. I heard a number of people say, well, you know, I wonder if uh, Mike Schmitz was pushing that one as well, just because I I do think that he had had a chance to see him for a while. And so I think rival people were sort of connecting those dots and saying, well, you know, maybe he was a a loud voice on, on that particular decision. But I didn't think it was that debatable. I mean, you look at the guys who are kind of going behind them. Uh, you know, Dyson Daniel is an interesting player, you know, kind of uh, pass first playmaker with good size. But, um, you know, he maybe he's a good fit with the, the, the smaller guards that Portland's got. But, you know, is there a star potential there? I don't really see it. And then from there, I mean, look at Johnny Davis. He went 10. He was the worst lottery pick here in Vegas. You know, and I think he was dealing with some back <laughs> tightness. But that guy was just atrocious. Bottom line, like he was terrible. Not him. Not him at all. And uh, I think that's sort of how people looked at it from Portland's side. But when he gets injured so quickly, and by the way, he didn't look very good in those first five minutes either. No, he didn't. Um, you know, taking some really reckless shots. And, and it seemed like to me trying to, you know, uh, make it a name for himself a little bit, just pressing there early. Um, you know, it was a little bit of an ominous start for him. I think in my mind, I came into summer league thinking, hey, this is a guy who's going to be able to fight for real minutes next season. And I just wonder if they are trying to make the play-in or, or the playoffs or whatever it might be next year with this group, whether it, it winds up being a little bit more of a developmental season for him. Now, I did hear one person, uh, this is just complete hearsay, but I heard one person who had access to one of the Blazers' practices who said that uh, Sharp was just not shooting the basketball very well during that practice. You know, this is before the game started. So uh, maybe some of the stuff that we saw in the game was a, a reflection of maybe the rust that he's possibly dealing with having not played, you know, five on five in front of people in what, like more than a year. Yeah. It's been, it's been a long time. And I think everybody is, is just, you know, itching to see him play in a game, including because, you know, Damian Lillard did that interview on ESPN during their first summer league game against the Pistons. And he basically said to Cassidy Hubbard, like, I want to see why this guy was picked as high as he was. Like he's as, I don't want to say skeptical because, you know, he can only be so skeptical. If he signed that extension, but like, he's as curious as anybody else about how good this guy is going to be. I'm kind of with you. I think it's probably not going to be that many minutes that we're going to be seeing him play. It's going to probably be similar to Anthony Simons, who kind of had a similar mystery man, you know, reputation coming into the draft the year that he was drafted and didn't 
played much his first year and then started to play a little bit more after that. And it wasn't even really until this year that he started to, to you know, develop more of it, you know, because of the injuries and because of the way the season went, you know, became, you know, a lot more of a consistent rotation player. And then, you know, proved that he was worth that hundred million dollar contract that he signed. Who else? So getting away from Blazer stuff for a second, who else really stood out to you? Both, 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 you know, the top, you know, lottery guys, you know, Chet, Jabari, uh, Paolo, who like those guys, but also like, like who, who are you coming away from summer league outside of the blazer guys feeling like, okay, these guys are, you know, they showed me something at summer league. Well, I mean, you know, the guys who are the non lottery players who played great are the typical bucket getters who I don't really, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about. So, you know, a player like Grimes from New York, put up a ton of points, Cam Thomas from Brooklyn, uh, put up a ton of points. I thought the story of this year's summer league was about the lottery guys from this year's class, the rookies, because um, 13 of the 14 lottery picks played. Um, the The only exception was uh, Sokian from, uh, from San Antonio, who I guess had COVID at some point. Um, now a bunch of those guys got injured or they got shut down early. But I think when you look at like the top five or six picks, I mean, all those teams came home with something positive to be excited about. Um, you know, you start with Paolo. I mean, he, he reminds me kind of like a young Carmelo Anthony in terms of his scoring ability. He's a legit 6'10". He had all the scouts buzzing about his size. You look at Chet where, I mean, the scouts just kind of slobber all over Chet in terms of his two-way game, the impact, um, you know, the massive plus minus every time he's on the court and just how he's just always in the mix. So people like Chet, you know, Jabari Smith Jr., let's give him a gold star for perfect attendance. They didn't shut him down at all. He played all five games. His offensive game wasn't uh, quite as developed, and I think some people expected that because he's not really known for having a handle. He's known for being a little bit reliant upon his point guards to set him up. But he played great defense, spent a lot of time at the center spot in small ball lineups and was just roving everywhere, blocking shots, getting steals, deflections, uh, taking the toughest defensive assignments. He's a really interesting player. My concern is he seems like such a nice kid, and he's going to a Houston team where you've got a lot of very self-interested players, guys who – are not trying to play setup. They're just trying to get their own numbers. I hope that they find a way to, to work him into the offense and they, you know, kind of bring him along like carefully and, uh, you know, try to feature him a little bit during his rookie year. Cause I could easily see him getting left by the wayside. Um, you know, Keegan Murray to me was the MVP of summer league, the number four pick. He probably got more backlash than any top pick um, this year, you know, because the Kings took him over Jaden Ivey. Um, but he played every single game, you know, 20 plus points every single night. Uh, he shot the basketball amazing from three point range. He's doing it, you know, contested, uncontested, hitting some three pointers off the dribble and then just playing hard and smart. You know, I think he's going to be, um, you know, he's going to be getting big time minutes for them as a rookie and it helps. He's a little bit older, uh, but still quality performance from him. Ivy got injured in his second game, which was a bummer, but when he played, he looked very explosive and, uh, you know, the Pistons fans, really rolled deep to Vegas and they were loud and pretty excited to see him. And then I think one of the the quieter stories would be Benedict Matherin for the Pacers where, I mean, this guy can really score the basketball. He's got this nice NBA quality sidestep three pointer that he can get off against anybody. Uh, Reminds me a little bit of like, you know, Simons has that shot now after kind of uh, mimicking Damian Lillard after, you know, all these years. And I think he's going to play huge minutes for the Pacers just based on how they're, um, you know, rebuilding um, this year. And I, I don't know if he's going to be like in the rookie of the year mix, but I think he's going to be a guy who puts up some real numbers as a rookie, just because, you know, he did take two years in college. He 
He's got some good size to him at that two guard spot. And he's just going to be one of the focal points of their offense. And they're going to be terrible, you know, no question about it, but he's going to be, you know, playing quite a bit. So to me, it was all about the the rookies this year, you know, in terms of like the major headlines um, from this year's, uh, you know, summer league. And it's just a shame that some of these guys shut down so early. I mean, Paolo, you know, I thought he had some good, bad and ugly moments, you know, kind of struggling with some turnovers in his second game. If I was Orlando, I would have liked to see him play at least one more time, if not two more times. But you, you understand why these guys do it. They're afraid about injuries. You know, they, they feel like uh, they let him get his feet wet and, and they kind of move forward. But my dream, Sean, is instead of this NBA midseason tournament that Adam Silver is talking about, I want them to pump a bunch of prize money into Summer League. And I want them to kind of incentivize all the top young players and the teams to actually go and try to win this title like the Blazers did today. I want them to put like millions of dollars at stake. I want there to be like, uh, you know, a playoff environment where they actually play the games in like an NBA quality facility instead of a college gym. I want them to really like double down on uh, Summer League because it's already existing property. I mean, imagine if instead of like Trendon Watford versus uh, Quentin Grimes today, imagine if it was, you know, Chet versus Paolo for $2 million for their organizations. You know, people would watch that game, that the ratings would be huge. And I think that it's a, a still a little bit of a sleeping giant. You know, the Summer League has grown up a lot over the last 10 years, but I still think there's a lot more potential as kind of like an under-23 event that gets people excited about the future. Under-23 where, you know, you instead of it being just like, oh, only rookies and, and you know, if, if somebody's too good their rookie year, they won't come their second year. I still go back to like Brandon Ingram going into his second year, played one game for the Lakers and dropped like 40 on the Clippers. And they were just like, nope, you're, you're done. You're done. So you're talking about like, let's have Anthony Edwards play at Summer League, like in his second or third year. Let's have, you know, LaMelo Ball or, you know, Evan Mobley, whoever is that kind of what you're, what you're getting at here is like, let's just make this a showcase for all the young players. This is interesting. I like this. Well, look, there was a lot of griping among scouts and executives that none of the top five guys from last year's class showed up. You know, I mean, we didn't get a Jalen Green. Uh, you know, like what has he proven in the NBA? Nothing. I mean, they were horrible last year. It would have been nice to see him play a couple games. Uh, you know, the list goes on. I mean, guys like Mobley. OK, I understand why he might not play or Scotty Barnes. Like, but a Jalen Suggs, you know, it would have made sense for him to come out and show what he can do. I mean, he had a really rough rookie year. And so, yeah, I, I want to create an environment. Well, I'm with Adam Silver, first of all. I mean, he's trying to steer these upcoming collective bargaining agreement negotiations towards pay for play, where there can be incentives for all players, not just young guys, for appearing in games and the results of those games. So, you know, he's trying to get rid of load management by encouraging players not to sit out, by, you know, throwing them a little bit more money as a carrot. And I think that's the right idea for Summer League, too. You know, let's make it worth these guys' while to play because it was an electric atmosphere on opening night when Paolo and uh, Jabari went one-on-one on on that Thursday. And uh, it was a real bummer when Paolo sat out his matchup versus Chet. Everybody wants to see number one versus number two. I mean, that goes back to high school basketball. That goes back to, like, you know, AAU tournaments when you're a kid. That's the whole idea. Everybody wants to see those showdowns. So let's make it worth their while so that, uh, you know, they decide, all right, you know, Paolo, go out there. Let's do it. Let's see what all these guys can do. Now, are you going to convince Ant-Man, you know, fresh off of his, uh, you know, Adam Sandler film success to pop into that tournament? Okay, that might be a tougher sell. Uh, But I would love to see, you know, the Summer League kind of rebranded as this under 23 type vision where, uh, you know, it's something that everybody really cares about kind of in the dead of summer when there's nothing else going on. 
Was Ant-Man there this year? Because, I mean, I know Jaw was there. I, I mean, you're like the king of, you know, getting the photos and the videos of the actual NBA stars making their entrances at Summer League. Was Ant-Man there? Or, like, like who was the most impressive, you know, outside of LeBron, who, you know, LeBron's always going to be the answer to this question. Who was, who was the most impressive, you know, entrance that you saw and presence that you saw at Summer League this year out of, like, actual NBA stars? Well, I think there might have been a, a passing of the torch this year. I think there oh, really? actually might have been more excitement for John ja Morant than LeBron James this year. I saw some kids looking down over the tunnel, like contemplating jumping like 10 rows down off the tunnel to like land near <laughs> Jaw. I mean, it was sort of like a Beatles vibe around John ja Morant. Uh, it was it was wild. Um, you know, LeBron's obviously the biggest name. The other huge name this year was Kyrie Irving, just given the implications of uh, his standoff with the Nets. Um, Russell like, who was sitting was where? Like, was he sitting next to Russ? Was, was LeBron sitting next to Russ? Was Ben Simmons there? Like, that was kind of more of the, like, I saw on Twitter more of that than, well, like. Yeah, like, no, the, the, the real intrigue was LeBron being on one side of the court, Westbrook being on the other side of the court, and those two guys never meeting when last year they came in together, like, arm in arm as BFFs. So that was like very clear, like they're just like splitting joint custody of the Lakers, like they're not trying to, uh, you know, be a united front at all whatsoever. Um, Kyrie Irving didn't show up at the same time as LeBron. I thought he should have. It would have made for a much bigger scene. Ben Simmons showing up is just so weird to me. You know, it's like, come on, dude. Like how many times are you going to sit on the sidelines of basketball games before you decide to actually lace them up and play? So who knows what's going on there? Um, those were the biggest names, you know, Lillard, uh, you know, I think the top five stars is probably LeBron, Westbrook, Ja, Lillard, and Kyrie. I think those were the five biggest names. And I mean, the, the, the whole Dame entrance, cause they, and you know, I, I said this, you know, on the, on the last podcast, but you know, some of the Blazers guys, not Dame, but some of the Blazers guys were on my flight down uh, to Vegas, but like basically their entire team was there. For you know, outside of like Josh Hart was the only guy I didn't see. He might have been there. I just personally didn't see him with my own eyes. But like Nurkic was there, Nasir Little was there, Ant was there, Jeremy Grant was there, Gary Payton was there, and there was a lot of anticipation, you know, throughout the whole organization, not just with you know the front office guys that we talked about before with Chauncey who was there, but also with the players to see Shade and Sharp. And then five minutes into the first game, he just he hurts his shoulder, and we should get something probably in about a week on the you know what what the whether they're going to need to be surgery there they i think they're hoping that it's not going to be surgery that would be kind of a bummer if there was surgery but they think it's a small enough tear in the labrum that it'll be able to just kind of heal on his own let me ask you this how is it that you're able to and i'm sure you get this question all the time but you are unique among nba media members in that you actually every year go to summer league for the entire time, most of us, myself included, have just kind of figured out how to get, you know, get, you know, go there for the first four or five days, see everybody you need to see, and then just kind of get out. You go the entire time, every time. And like I said at the beginning of the show, you, it's, it's you, it's Warren Legary, it's Joanna Shapiro, who you brought up, who spend the most time at Summer League. Like, how, A, how do you put up with the heat in Vegas for that long? And B, why is Summer League for you like the thing to go to? Well, I'm just trying to lead by example. I think everybody should stay the whole time. I, I want all the players to play the whole time. I want all the media to stay there the whole time. I mean, I would ask you, like, what do you have better going on? You know, we got eight hours of basketball for free every single day. It's like this to me is heaven. I love how we go from like the highest of highs in June 
with the NBA finals to just, you know, kind of the lowest of lows in terms of quality of play. I just really like, you know, it's kind of like you, you're going from reading like a 500 page Russian novel to like, uh, you know, us weekly, you know, <laughs> like sometimes you just have to mix it up a little bit. Uh, so I like that aspect of it. It's much more re- uh, loose, laid back. You know, for me, logistically, it's really easy because I'm just, uh, you know, coming out from L.A. So th- that part, you know, plays a, a role in it as well. Um, but I've always had a soft spot for Vegas because it was one of the first events I ever got credentialed at. You know, I mean, this is like the 2008 year with Nicholas Batum, where, you know, it was kind of one of the ways I started to try to, you know, turn just random blogging into something that could potentially be a career, at, you know, at some point. So I've always, uh, you know, just kind of uh, felt a loyalty factor there. And I also, you know, I, I want to build up my encyclopedia uh, database, my, you know, my mental database of, of watching these players and kind of just, you know, getting scouting reports on them. I hardly watch any college basketball. So it's a little bit of a crash course for me in terms of, you know, getting my first read on guys. And then, like you mentioned, it's really fun to see everybody else around the league. You know, it's nice seeing you there. It's nice seeing Danny Morang, the other Portland guys yeah. um, who came down. And, you know, that goes for kind of every single franchise. And, you know, sometimes it's helpful just to see the PR people too, you know, in terms of trying to figure out like what could be some good feature stories for the upcoming season. And, uh, you know, you mentioned as well, there's just the carnival aspect of the celebrity to it, which I love because, you know, 10 years ago, that was not a thing. You know, the big time stars did not come, but now you have guys like LeBron and Kyrie who are going there because they kind of want to be talked about. They want to be seen. They want to show support for the, the league and this event. But I thought with Damian Lillard, to me, it was a really big deal that he showed up and, you know, kind of created a united front with all their teammates. I mean, this has been a mess of a year, like we described earlier. Leadership is at such a premium right now for this organization. So for him to kind of go there, set the tone, you know, any, even in his interview that he did where he's saying like, hey, look, Shaden Sharp, you have to get out there and play, you know, show us what you can do. I love that mentality from uh, Lillard as well. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's, um, you know, he's not the only one. You know, John Morant was kind of doing the same thing with the Grizzlies, and they were rolling pretty deep with, like, Desmond Bain and and all these other players. You know, the Pelicans came through with Zion and Brandon Ingram. So I do like to see some organizations where, like, the players are trying to drive things. They're the ones who are trying to set the tone. I mean, to me, that's uh, that's great as well. And you get a feel for people's personalities. You get a chance to see how people interact with each other. Every once in a while, you get a, you know, a nice interview with somebody that kind of makes the whole thing worthwhile. And now the NBA has kind of turned this thing into a, a business convention as well. So I wrote a big story this week about some of the, the tech investments that the NBA is making through their no, new program called the Launchpad. And, and people could read that at the Washington Post. But I mean, they're trying to solve these like chronic basketball problems, everything from sprained ankles to referees blowing calls. They're trying to use just crazy futuristic tech and investing all this money in these companies that have kind of innovative solutions to these problems. And, you know, they, they kind of treat Vegas and Summer League now as almost, um, you know, their annual meetup where they can all just exchange ideas. So there's a there's just a lot going on. Uh, you know, on top of that, you got the Board of Governors meetings where uh, Adam Silver is going to kind of set the agenda for the upcoming uh, collective bargaining agreement. I mean, to me, like I think media should, everybody should come and everybody should stay. And I don't totally understand why every single year there's a big rush out on Monday or Tuesday. Like they're still playing games. I know it's hot, but there's a lot going on. Yeah. I might 
try to extend it a little bit longer next year. It's 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 tough for I me. Mean, I think a lot of it. I mean, there, there's some of some of it is like the personal burnout aspect of it, but then there's also you know a lot of you know media outlets are cutting travel budgets, and I don't know how many reporters are you know would necessarily be willing to dip into their own money in order to stay out longer to do it. So I think that's part of it too. And you know I think a lot of these companies just decide you know you go you go out you get what you need to get and then. It's not worth, you know, bankrolling. I mean, you're you're in a good spot where you know the Washington Post seems like is willing to do that for you, and that's and that's great. Uh, that's kind of where a lot of uh, I I I think that that's kind of a big factor in it too, is for why a lot of media people uh, end up not coming, you know, staying out as long as. I mean, I get that too, man. The first couple of years I came, I was like sleeping on my friend's sofa down here, like yeah. just doing whatever I could do. I mean, I, I totally get that. Um, and the, in the, I think the interest around this event has actually driven up hotel prices a lot. I mean, I remember yeah. coming down here for a while and you could stay at a nice hotel for like 80, 90 bucks, you know, and now it's pretty much double that seems like, so, you know, kind of at minimum, I don't know if some of that's inflation or what. So, you know, I get it. I guess I'm just calling out everybody. Let's make this event bigger. You know, did you have a good time when you were down here? I did. I thought this was one of the most productive and fun summer leagues that I've had in a while. Like last, like it was totally back. I would say it's totally back to the way it was. And I, I don't think I saw you last year. Cause I'm pretty sure you were still in Tokyo last year. Right. Or like you, you came like right from the Olympics to summer league. I think we missed each other last year because it was, uh, you came out for like the back end of it because the beginning, the Olympics were still going on. So you were still in Tokyo. And, but like last year was kind of, a, a you know, useless just because of, uh, you know, all the COVID restrictions were still there this year. It was totally back to the way it was in 2019 or 2018, like in terms of the access, in terms of, you know, people just being around, hanging around people you could talk to things you could do. It was kind of back to normal. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. Uh, Going forward, were you the only media member who was still there this long? Um, do you know Tomer with Clutch Points? Uh, I he, do know he was, uh, Yeah, he's great, and he was there the whole time. And he was – I mean, look, everybody's kind of going through the fatigue factor that you were describing. I mean, you typically – I can make it about six or seven days before Vegas really starts to wear on me. And that was like right on schedule this year. The last couple of days were pretty tough. I woke up today with a real skip in my step because it's like, yes, finally, the last day we made it to the uh, <laughs> we made it to the end. And I think he was feeling that, too. But, um, you know, it's a reminder, like the people who are still here, it's all the team employees. You know, it's the it's the team uh, social media people, the team photographers. You know, it, it just kind of tells you like, well, it is a, a changing media landscape. If you look at where the budgets are, like you were describing earlier, you know, a lot of it has to be team driven um, at this kind of event. But. Uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to that. I don't, you know, come down here like expecting to try to write war and peace or some like amazing, you know, deep, you know, features about whatever, or, you know, you want to talk about, Hey, what's going on with the KD trade stuff? What's going on with Kyrie? You, you want to just kind of have fun with it and then just scout a lot of basketball. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, watching the Les Schwab invitational or like the, the Portland, uh, you know, summer, high school tournaments where they bring all the, the players from around the globe to, to come out to Hillsborough and, and play out there. I always like just going to those basketball events and just soaking in the, you know, soaking in the prospects. And that's sort of what summer league is like. And by the way, the other guy who loves doing that, Steve Ballmer, you know, before he was putting together the Clippers, this guy was like, you know, power broker in Seattle AAU circles, trying to put together teams, I think around his son, if I'm not mistaken, but uh -huh. I'm sure he was, uh, you know, doing other stuff as well. And so, it was crazy to see him day after day after day in Vegas, hours before the Clippers would play, 
scouting the other teams, you know, wanting to see Chet Holmgren in person, wanting to see Keegan Murray in person. It was very cool. And, um, you know, I, I think we always say ownership is a huge advantage in professional sports. Uh, I think that's why the Clippers, you know, and the Warriors, to me, arguably have the two best ownership groups in the NBA. I'll let you go on this. Where do you see the Blazers this year in the East as far as where they rank, you know, after all the moves they made with bringing in Jeremy Grant, uh, bringing in Gary Payton, the second, you know, the drafting the, you know, the players that they drafted who we talked about earlier from summer league, where do you kind of see them in the hierarchy at this point? I mean, to me, they're in the the bottom half of the play in mix, um, probably like in that nine or 10 range. I mean, I think when you look at like their projected starting lineup, if everybody was healthy, Compared to last year's projected starting lineup, if everybody was healthy, I mean, you could make some real arguments that they took a step backward. You know, I mean, they sold off an awful lot of talent at the trade deadline, and um, they're going to need to put the pieces together pretty quickly. Um, at the same time, you know, they get Damian Lillard. That guy's worth a lot of wins, and I think he's going to be rested, refreshed, recuperated, all that good stuff. And so, you know, they're going to be above teams like Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Utah. No questions asked, right? Um, now, in terms of are they going to actually be able to make the play-in or even better make the playoffs, I think that's sort of where you know something needs to be proven. I circle Nurkic as a major X factor. He gets a new contract. Can this guy stay healthy? Or is he just one of those guys who's always going to be in and out of the lineup? I'm not as high on Jeremy Grant as a lot of people. Um, and so from that standpoint, like I kind of want him to prove it to me. I think he's going to be going into a better role. I mean, he was woefully underqualified to be a number one guy and it really showed for the Pistons. And now he's in a much better spot, I think for his own success. But, you know, to me, Portland, you know, they're kind of right there with a team like Sacramento, who I think has made some investments and should be a little bit better. Um, You know, New Orleans is probably in a similar tier. I mean, those are kind of the teams I would see, you know, fighting in in maybe that play in mix or or just outside of it. Okay. Well, that's, that's, I think I'm kind of in the same spot. I'm, you know, I think they're in the play in maybe if, you know, if, if a lot of, if a lot of stuff breaks, right. Like if Dame stays healthy, Nurk stays healthy, uh, injury breaks go, you know, their way, as opposed to, you know, with some of these other teams, I think they could maybe get up to like six, but I think we kind of have them in the same range. I don't think they're contenders by any means, but I think they've gotten a lot better from based on, I, I still remember like towards the end of last season, the one game that you came up uh, to Portland for was that game against Oklahoma city at like the peak of the, you know, both of those teams were trying to tank. It was like one of the most epic, uh, you know, tank. Were, were you there for the, 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 the you, you weren't there for the one that was like an overtime tank uh, job or the one where they like, purposely like do you remember the one i'm talking about because you were you were here for an oklahoma city game i remember i was and it came right down to the end i mean it was a complete mess and there was like a you know a deep three-pointer that could have won it i mean it was uh it was back and forth i mean they're going to be better than the thunder this year just based off having dame back i mean another team that they're going to be better than that i forgot to mention is houston um so they're probably like to me their their floor is 11th i could see anywhere from eighth to 11th. I think there's a lot of good teams in the Western conference coming in next year. Golden state, the Clippers, uh, you know, Dallas is rock solid. Denver is going to be better. They could be the number one seed. Frankly, Memphis was low key losers of the off season. Jaron Jackson gets injured. They, they drop a couple of uh, rotation players, but I really like their rookie um, big body Roddy. I mean, that guy had a great summer league showed a lot, <laughs> so he's going to plug right in. Uh, Minnesota obviously made their big investment. They're going to be a playoff team after, you know, you know, the kind of that crazy trade they made. So yeah, the Blazers could finish above the Lakers. I could see them falling to pieces again. 
but you know, Phoenix is really good as well. Like I just think there's a bunch of teams that are better than Portland kind of know, no matter how you slice it. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at, but I would love to be proven wrong. I also didn't think the Blazers were going to win the summer league title. Um, and they, uh, completely surprised me with that as well. <laughs> that's probably as good a place as anybody, as anywhere to leave it, Ben. Uh, you know, you, I'm sure most people listening to this know, Ben and no Ben's work. You know, he's one of the OG Blazers bloggers, you know, back from the Blazers edge days from the draft Kevin Durant days for the real heads, uh, the D'Antonio wing cast with Kevin Pelton for the real heads. Uh, but you know, Na- uh, Washington post national NBA writer, uh, greatest of all talk with Andrew Sharp podcast, which you should also go subscribe to Ben, go, go take some time off, go do. I, I'm expecting to be on your Instagram, seeing some some wildlife pictures, seeing some national park pictures. Build, you know, build some new Legos. Just go, go do some. You've you've just been out in in Vegas for eleven days. Go do something totally unrelated to that. Oh yeah, no, I'm about to hit the parks out in Utah. I can't wait, and it's been a long run, man. I've been on the road almost for like three or four months straight now. So I'm looking forward to a real off season uh, for once and. You know, for everybody else who says, hey, the bubble is too, or sorry, the uh, the summer league is too long at 11 days. Just remember the bubble was 93. Okay. So um, everybody can handle summer league next year. I'm going to be taking attendance, Sean. I want perfect attendance from you, just like we got from Jabari Smith Jr. this year. Okay. I will, we'll, we'll talk about it. Well, and that, by the way, speaking of the bubble, that's the other plug bubble ball, the, the book uh, that Ben wrote about the bubble. Ben, thank you so much for doing this with me. It's my pleasure, man. And I encourage everybody, uh, you know, tell your friends. It's it's really cool that Sean's gone out on his own. I know the feeling from doing a podcast where you're kind of just throwing yourself out there and hoping that people su- subscribe and support. And the best way to kind of grow audience is for people who are really, you know, diehard listening to every last word about a summer league victory to tell their friends to sign up too. So, uh, you know, I think it's really cool what you're doing, Sean. I've been enjoying the newsletter. Every time I see you, I mentioned how I've gotten like three emails from you in the last 24 hours. So uh, I just hope everybody's on board and, and spreading the gospel as well. All right, man. Take care. Appreciate you, man.